Then notice what he says right in the beginning of chapter 10 and verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you. Now notice he's still speaking to the same group. Uh, this is where chapter divisions actually get in the way. You know, the Bible was not created or written with chapter divisions or verse divisions. They were not added until 1551 by a man named Stephanus. And I think he's done a pretty good job, but sometimes he missed it. And this is a case where the end of chapter 9 just continues to go on, and there probably shouldn't even be a chapter division at this point. Uh, Jesus is still speaking to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. They're the blind leading the blind, in a sense. And this section, we're going to cover chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, is the section that's known as the Good Shepherd Discourse, where Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. And for those of you who take notes, here's how we're going to divide this section. Verses 1 through 6. Okay? Section number 1. The shepherd comes for his sheep. The shepherd comes for his sheep. Verses 7 through 10. The shepherd cares for his sheep. And then verses 11 through 21. The shepherd gathers his sheep into the sheepfold. Now, the first section, the shepherd cares or comes for his sheep, is a mourning scene. He's going to come and take his sheep out of the sheepfold. The second section, he cares for his sheep, is a daytime scene where he's taking care of his sheep. And then the last section, he gathers his sheep and he puts them back into the sheepfold as an evening scene. So it's a very simple threefold progression. So let's look at this first section, verses 1 through 6. The shepherd cares for his sheep. And here's what it says. Remember who he's speaking to. The Pharisees, who are full of pride and really are destructive rather than helpful to the people of God. Most assuredly, or truly, truly, some translations say, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, this is a scene that would have been familiar to every person living in Jerusalem. Because on the edge of town, there were many sheepfolds. And sheepfolds were simply structures where you would put your, your flock. And you would house it there. Out in West Texas, you know, you go by and you see these great big cattle, uh, what do you call them? Feedlots. Uh, and you see, and then there's, uh, there's these uh, uh, structures. They're made mainly of poles and wires and everything, but there's all these different cattle are in there. And in Jerusalem, they had these sheepfolds. And the structure was very interesting. Uh, it was made of four walls and a rectangle with a great big opening. No ceiling, okay? out under the sky. And these, each wall, the east wall, the west wall, the north wall, the south wall, were about four to six feet high. And there was only one door that you could enter in. And, so, and it was a door or a gate that you could enter in, in through this walled structure. And there was a porter or a gatekeeper who would allow someone to go in to that sheepfold and get their sheep. 
Now, I like to watch some of these BBC detective mysteries. And one of them that I watch is Inspector Lewis. It takes place at Oxford University, the city of Oxford, England. And Oxford University has about 35 colleges. And each college is an entity unto itself. There's Christ College. There's all these different colleges. Uh, what are some of the other ones in there? Uh, Keeble College, all these different colleges. And each college is structured very interestingly. There's a courtyard, and then there are four walls that go up about 15 or 20 feet high. A building on this side, a building on that side, a building on that side, and a building on that side, and a great big quad in the middle, green quad. The only way you can get into that quad is through one archway door. So that's the only entrance. And in that archway, there is an office of the porter. And the porter is the one that determines whether you can go in or whether you come out. Well, these sheepfolds were four walled structures, six to eight feet tall, with one opening and a porter there, just like at Oxford. And he determined whether you could go in or whether you could come out. So that's very interesting. No roof. And on the walls of the sheepfold, there were briars, thicket, so that if anyone tried to climb over uh, and steal a sheep, they would have a hard time. They would get stu uh, stuck by the, uh, uh, the briars and the thorns. And, uh, but many people tried to do it. They tried to scale up the wall and climb over it, not go through the door. And they were literally up to no good. See, that's where you get that concept, up to no good. It comes right out of this scene. And oftentimes there would be several flocks in one of these sheepfolds. Not just one flock, there may be a dozen flocks. Hundreds of sheep uh, put into this sheepfold. And so that's the picture. Okay? That's the picture that you have here. So look at verse 1. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, or the gate, where there's the porter, but climbs up some other way, somebody's up to no good, that person is a thief and a robber. And the word thief there is one that you all would recognize. It's kleptase, from which we get our word kleptomaniac. And an important person in the Bible who is called a thief is Judas Iscariot. He carried the purse for the Jesus band of followers, and he was stealing out of the purse. He was a kleptase, a thief. And the word robber is just a little different than a thief. A robber is someone who steals by force, like an armed robber today. And the most famous person called a robber in the Bible is Barabbas. He was the man who was in jail, remember? And they said, give us the Barabbas! Take Jesus! And so this is the picture that we have here. Now look at verse 2. But he who enters, in other words, legally and legitimately, into that sheepfold, by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. So he doesn't have to try to steal a sheep. He just goes right in through that door. To him, 
the doorkeeper or porter opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name so uh, you can just imagine that the shepherd goes in now he's ready he's ready to uh, come for his sheep he's going to take them out into the pasture and he calls them by name come dancer come prancer come calm <laughs> Is that what he did? No, he would say, come fluffy, <laughs> come fuzzy, <laughs> come lamb chop, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever he called it. <laughs> come curly, you know. Uh, and notice it says in verse 3, he called his own sheep. Do you see that? His own sheep. There was a lot of sheep in that sheepfold. His own sheep, and he called them by name. So there's a relationship that the shepherd has with his own sheep. There's a bonding that's taken place. And it's just like some of you uh, are bonded with your pet. If I said, come here, puppy, it wouldn't listen to me. You call it, it listens to you. Because there's a relationship between you and your pet. So look at verse, end of verse 3. It says this. And he leads them out. Notice he's coming for the sheep. He leads them out of that doorway. And when he brings them out, his own, he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. Uh, he leads them. They follow him because they know him and they follow his voice. He doesn't drive them like a, somebody driving cattle. You know. He's uh, very gentle with those sheep. And it says this at the end of verse 4. And the sheep follow him. Why do they follow him? Because they know his voice. They know the tonal quality of his voice. They recognize his voice. It's like somebody calls on the phone and leaves a message. They don't have to give you their name if you know who they are. You recognize the voice. And you know who you have to call back. And so here the sheep know his voice. Again, it speaks of that relationship. And look at verse 5. Yet, they will by no means follow a stranger. But they'll flee from him. Uh, and that, where it says, in no means, is a, in the Greek is a double negative. Not like an English double negative, which sort of makes it a positive. <laughs> but in Greek, a double negative is used for emphasis. And they will, no way, under any circumstances, follow a stranger. Why won't they follow the stranger? It says, for they, look at the end of verse 5, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And uh, there are historical counts uh, of stories of shepherds who would call the sheep and the sheep would separate from all the other sheep in the sheepfold and they would just come and follow their own shepherd when they heard his voice. The other shepherds would do, the other sheep would do nothing. But his sheep, their ears would perk up as soon as they hear his voice. And he'd have a signal. Just like you train your dog to sit or come or whatever, they had a signal and the sheep would follow him. Others they would not follow because they did not know his voice. And I once heard a Bible teacher tell uh, somebody here at the church, a Bible teacher here at the church, tell the story of going to Israel and was out in an oasis where there were hundreds of sheep uh, drinking from the water of the oasis in this pool of water. 
And this Bible teacher says, and then suddenly they looked and about a hundred different sheep heads just popped right up like this. They looked around and they immediately left and they followed one shepherd because they knew that shepherd's voice. The other sheep never lifted their heads. It's absolutely amazing. I like to watch birds in the morning when I eat my breakfast. I look out the window and we have a lot of birds. We have birds that land in the tree and then suddenly, all of a sudden, maybe a hundred birds, all of a sudden, just like that, they're gone. Something signals them. Some, there must be some lead bird that goes, tweet, tweet, and they, <laughs> and they go, you know. But there's other birds, they don't go. You know, there's a cardinal, he doesn't leave when there's a but these other birds, they go. So there's, there's just, they know the, the voice, and that's very important. They know the voice of the shepherd, and he knows their names. So that's that relationship that we're talking about. Then John, the writer, gospel writer, interjects something. Here's what he says in verse 6. Jesus used this illustration. Notice, he's not talking about sheep. He's not talking about a real life event. He's using this event as an illustration or an allegory or a story. But they, that's the Pharisees, did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Uh, Jesus is telling this story to drive home a point about sheep and a shepherd. But reality, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. And he's talking about himself. And the sheep are God's flock. They're God's people. And the Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers in this story. And the sheep don't want to follow them because these Pharisees don't have the welfare of the people at heart. They only have their own welfare. And so Jesus says that he is the shepherd that legitimately comes in and takes the sheep. And the Pharisees, of course, are like the thieves and the robbers. Okay, so that's section number one. Jesus comes for the sheep. That's a morning scene. Okay, now look at verses 7 through 10. The shepherd cares for the sheep. That's a daytime scene. Okay, now look at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, we have a second illustration. In the first one, he identifies himself as the shepherd or the leader of sheep. And now he's going to, you need to sort of forget the first illustration. I was going to tell a second story. And in this story, he is the door to the sheep. Okay? Notice the definite article, the door. Not a door. The door. He's the only entrance into the sheepfold. Okay? And then he says this. All who ever came before me are what? thieves and robbers. <clears throat> so, now when he says that, he's not talking about people who came before him like Moses and Joshua and the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about the Jewish leaders of his day. Before he comes on the scene in 30 AD in his baptism, he says the other leaders, what are they? They are thieves and robbers. And so they are, and there's also during Jesus' day a lot of false teachers and false messiahs that were, you know, in Israel as well. And if we had time, I could go into a whole group of 
false messiahs that would have appeared on the scene during the life of Jesus. So look what he says. He says, I am the door. I am the entrance of God's flock to God's flock. Uh, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not what? Hear them. The sheep don't listen to these leaders because these leaders are thieves and robbers. Now, a good example is the guy who was healed of blindness that we studied last week. What happened? Well, remember the Pharisees called him in and guess what happened? Did he listen to them? Did he follow them? No, he didn't. He followed Jesus. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is the Son of God. All these things. And what did they do? What did the Pharisees do? They kicked him out of the synagogue. Remember that? Hey, Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the door. Guess what? They threw him out of the door. <laughs> See? He wasn't listening to them. They won't listen to the, to the uh, false teachers and the robbers and the thieves. Are you still with me? Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. I alone am the door. If you want to be in God's flock, you have to come through Jesus. So what are you saying? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be delivered. Okay. Uh, this brings to mind Psalm 118, where God says, This is the door, this is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter and find salvation. So here Jesus is basically just applying Psalm 118 to his only life, and he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll be delivered. Not only that, he says, and that person that comes through me will go in and out and find pasture. Will go in and out and find pasture. Now that is a phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament. The phrase in and out speaks of safety. It speaks of protection and security uh, given by the shepherd to the sheep. You've heard the blessing passage in Deuteronomy 28.6 where he says this, Blessed are thou when you go in, and blessed are thou what? When you come out. There's about six times in the Old Testament where that phrase is used, Blessed art thou when thou go in, and when you come out. You're blessed because the shepherd is taking care of you. Uh, he maketh me lie down. Notice it says there, doesn't it say pasture there in that? What verse is that? Verse 9? Yeah. He maketh me lie down in what? Green pastures. He sets a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. The enemies are all around me. Guess what? The shepherd's there. You don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> so he's taking care of you. He's got that crook and he's got that hook. And if any, you know, danger comes, he just hits the, you know, the wolf on the head or whatever the situation is. So that's what you have right here. Coming in and going out speaks of safety. Protection. Now, look, I've lived in two homes where it wasn't safe to go in and out of my house. It was safe to get in. But you had to get in first. And uh, one was in Dallas and one was in, in Baltimore. And in both situations, they were very difficult neighborhoods. And uh, in Dallas, there were apartments behind me. And every night, Lynn and I would lie in bed. We had our three kids and the little kids in the house at that time. And we'd hear, pop, pop, pop. Well, I wasn't even safe in my house if the bullet went through a window. And in Maryland, when I lived there, there were people killed right, on, right in front of my house. 
shot in front of my house. And there's a little grocery store not 50 yards from my house. Now in Baltimore, they have these row houses. This is the craziest city in the world, Baltimore, Maryland. They have row houses, and there was a little Italian grocery store in the basement of one of these houses. It was a store. People lived upstairs, and they had to, you go down into the basement, there was a grocery store. And I'll never forget that the, the store was robbed. And there was a customer in the store that ran after the robber. Robber turned right around and shot him dead. So this was going on all the time. So I wasn't safe going into my house. I wasn't safe coming out of my house. Jesus said, I am the door. You get part of it. You become part of the sheepfold. And guess what? You're safe. Whether you're in or whether you go out. I'm going to take care of you. So the shepherd protects the sheep. Now look at verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Now how many times have we heard this verse applied to the devil? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in this case, he's not talking about the devil. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the Jewish leaders who say they are leaders of God's flock, but guess what they're doing? They're killing them. Did they kill Jesus? Yeah, they killed Jesus. They killed John the Baptist. Killed John the... All these people, you see, they're destroying God's people. They're not really caring for God's people. But by contrast, look at the end of verse 10. I have come that they might have life. And that means eternal life. That is a quantity of life. Life that is eternal is life that lasts forever. A quantity of life. It starts right now. Right now we have eternal life in us. Right now we are saved. We've been delivered from judgment. We've been delivered from the second death. We have eternal life. And it will continue on forever. See? And so there's a, the, the quantity of life. I've come that you might have life in verse 10. And that you might have it, look at this, more abundantly. That is a quality of life. Life to the fullest. Not only, not only eternal life in length of time, but the quality of life that we can have even now. So, this is a day scene. Okay? Now we're going to go to the night scene. Okay? This is the next section where he gathers the sheep. Now he's taking them out of the sheepfold on the edge of Jerusalem. He's taking them out into the country, and he's taking care of them. He's put them out in the pasture. He's caring for those sheep, protecting the sheep. And now the night starts to fall. And he's not near Jerusalem anymore. So now he has to gather the sheep and bring them into another little sheepfold out in the countryside. And so that's what we have right here. So look at verse 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. Notice the definite article again. Not one of them. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so what would happen is that uh, when he would enfold the sheep at night, usually shepherds would find some place like a cave and they would take all their sheep into a cave, and then they would lay in the opening of the cave, and they would sleep there, so that the sheep that he would protect the sheep even while the sheep were sleeping in that cave. That became the new sheepfold. 
out there in the wilderness. And he would just lay right there, you know, in front of that cave opening. And uh, if need be, he would fight off wolves and coyotes, because they're the ones that were always coming to destroy the sheep. He would fight off those wolves and coyotes, even to the point of giving up his own life. Saying that's what you have, basically, here. Uh, and that's where we get that idea, over my dead body. You'll do that over my dead body. You're going to have to come and kill me first before you would get to the sheep. And so you can see how that works out here. So, in verse 12, he says, I give my life for the sheep. See, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's willing to die, and the wolf is going to have to come in over his dead body to get the sheep in that enclosure. But, look at verse 12. The hireling. That's the hired hand. The guy who does things for money. Now, who do you think the hireling is in this case? Yeah, it's the Pharisees. See? This is not about sheep. <laughs> it's not about shepherds. It's really about God's people and who's their legitimate leader. Yeah. So, but the hired hand, the one who gets paid for doing this, who is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep, and he flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So here what we have is a contrast between the hireling and the good shepherd. See? The one who lays down his life for the sheep and the other one has his own self-interest at heart. Uh, and what happens is because he flees, that leaves the opening to the sheepfold and the wolf comes in, or the coyote, and they kill Now they can't kill all the sheep. But they get a hold of a couple of them by the neck and they kill the sheep. And what do the other sheep do? They scatter. They run. And now they're running out there and they're open prey for any type of wild animal that's out there. And uh, that's what you have here. Now, this concept of shepherd and sheep as an analogy for God's people uh, is mentioned several places in the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you one of these places. And I think this will bring everything together. It's in Ezekiel chapter 34. So I want you to turn there to Ezekiel 34. And I'm going to read a couple of verses. And I want you to keep your finger here because I'm going to turn back to the passage again. Okay? So Ezekiel 34. And uh, see if this doesn't sound very familiar to you. So it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And then comes Daniel. So Ezekiel chapter 34, and we're going to start at verse 1. And just slowly go through it so you can see the picture. So here's what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel 34, 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Son of man, prophesy against, look at this, the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who do what? Feed themselves. <laughs> Notice they're not taking care of the sheep. They're taking care of themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Obviously they should, but they're looking out for number one. 
You eat the fat. And you clothe yourselves in the wool. Now you know, in order to clothe yourself in the wool, what do you have to do? You have to kill the sheep. The thief comes, but to what? Kill. You see how this all fits together with Jesus' statement? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, maybe sell them off, make some money for yourself, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you've not strengthened, you don't care for them, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. Remember the story of the parable of the lost sheep? One gets away, and what does the good shepherd do? Goes and seeks the one that's lost. See, they don't do anything like that, because they're not concerned about sheep. They're only concerned about themselves, you see. Those that are scattered, verse 6, My sheep wandered through all the mountains, and on every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. He's talking about his people, but he's referring to them as sheep. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, and these would be, you might say, the bad shepherds. Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, look at that, and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, meaning good shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the flock, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them. And that's what God is doing in Christ. He's the good shepherd that's going to take care of his sheep. You see that? And then look down at verse 23. I will establish one shepherd over them. Do you see that? Remember I talked about the definite article? The shepherd, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Who is that? My servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now we have a very interesting situation. When Ezekiel is written, King David's been dead for years. <laughs> been dead for hundreds of years. So he's not talking about King David. He's talking about the other King David. The one coming in the name of King David. The one who establishes the covenant of King David, the one who sits on David's throne. Remember, that's what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. God, he died on the cross and he ascended and he sits on the throne of King David at God's right hand. So there's an example of what Jesus is talking about. He's taking his Old Testament prophecy and he's applying it to him and to these false shepherds, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. That makes sense to you? Now keep your hand there because I'm going to come back. So go back to John chapter 10. Now look at verse 13. John 10, 13. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. <laughs> not, a, not a real shepherd. He doesn't care about the sheep. See? 
course, now remember, he's not talking about sheep, he's talking about people, right? This is just an analogy or an illustration. What's a good shepherd like? Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by mine. That's basically the same thing it says back in verse 10 and other verses. We have this mutual relationship. Jesus is the the shepherd. Look at verse 15. Now watch the comparison. This is very interesting. As my Father knows me, even so I know the Father. So we have a relationship. There's this mutual relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. The Father knows Him. He knows the Father. And look at this. Based on that relationship that he has with God his Father, he says, in the verse 15, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the basis for him laying down the life for the sheep. He has the same kind of relationship with the sheep as he has with his Father. And we're going to say with God's people. He has the same kind of relationship with God's people as he has with God his Father. He knows his Father. He his father knows him, and guess what? He knows God's people, and they know him. That's a relationship that Jesus has with the people of God. Watch this. Now, this is a very interesting verse because it adds something new to the equation. And other sheep I have which are not of this flock. God has people that aren't Jews. Who would those people be? Gentiles. So now he's going to reveal that God's flock is bigger than just Israel. It includes Gentiles. It includes non-Jews, verse 16. Them also I must bring. Do you see the word must there? Speaks of necessity. Jesus' mission is not only to gather in the Jews, the believing Jews, but to gather in believing Gentiles. This is a necessity. At this point, Jesus has not yet brought in the Gentiles. He's only ministered to the Jews at this point. But he says in verse 16, I have other sheep, them also I must bring. Now look at this. And they will hear my voice. That's in the future. And there will be, look at this, one flock and one shepherd. The flock will be one flock. It won't be a Jewish flock and a Gentile flock. There will be one people of God, all under one shepherd. Jesus dies on the cross, having not reached Gentiles, as far as we know. So guess what? We have a great commission to go out into the world, and we preach the gospel. God speaks through us, preaching the gospel. And some of those Gentiles are sitting right in this room today. See, and we have heard God's voice. We've heard the gospel, and we've responded. And we have been brought into the sheepfold through the door of Christ and Christ alone. So, all this was possible because Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead. He established a new covenant. The old covenant with the nation of Israel, the new covenant which brings in Gentiles as well. And there is a difference between a Jew and Gentile. Don't let anybody tell you there's not. Here's a Jew and here's a Gentile. Are they different? Yes, they are different. Here's a male. Here's a female. Are they different? Yes, they are different. Look at this. Here's a slave in Roman times. Here's a free person in Roman times. Are they different? Yes, there's a difference, but there's no distinction in God's eyes. Neither male or female, 
Jew, Gentile, slave or free. All one in Christ. All one flock through Christ's death and his resurrection. That's what verse 17 says. Therefore, my Father loves me. Why does God love Jesus? Verse 17. Here it is. Because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Now go again over to the Ezekiel passage. No difference between Jew and Gentile. And when you get there, look at Ezekiel. You were in 34. Go to 37. And notice how this all fits together. And you'll see the basis of Jesus' sermon. Even though he doesn't quote the verses exactly, this is the basis for his his teaching there. So when you get to Ezekiel 37, look down at verse 24. Verse 24. Look what God says through Ezekiel. David, my servant, shall be king over them. So this is, of course, the descendant of David. And they shall have, what? One shepherd. They shall walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given Jacob my servant, where their fathers dwelt. They shall dwell there, they, their children, their children's children, forever. And my servant David shall be the prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant. See, this is the covenant that Christ is going to do, make the new covenant. I will make a covenant, covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle shall also be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now watch this. Verse 28, that's really the most important verse. And the nations also will know that I am the Lord. The word nations, there's the Gentiles. Some of your translations may say this. And the Gentiles also. See, it's not just for the Jews. The Gentiles also will know I am the Lord sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So when you go back to John chapter 10, that's what Jesus is talking about. And he's going to bring in other sheep, uh, including the Gentiles. So when we look at verse 17, therefore my father loves me. Why does he love me? Because I lay down my life. He loves Jesus because Jesus has been obedient to him. He's called him to die. That's the agony of the cross. And take it up again. That's the glory of the resurrection. No one, verse 18, takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay down, but I lay it down myself. No one takes it from me. I lay it down myself. Jesus wasn't some hapless, helpless victim when they crucified him. And he laid down his life. Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus said, what? You don't have any power unless God gave it to you. Uh, Pilate's not in control. Jesus is in control. He said, I lay down my life and I take it back up. Which is very interesting there in verse 18. And I have the power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. This is God's doing. And this is what happened when Jesus died. And then he was resurrected. Now we have John's commentary. The gospel writer now throws in his two cents worth. Here's what he says. He's going to tell us about the reaction to the Pharisees and the Jews that heard Jesus say this. So look at verse 19. Therefore there was a division again among the Jews. They start arguing with each other over what Jesus says. Because of these sayings. 
Okay, reaction number one, verse 20. And many of them said, He has a demon. How many times have we heard that? And is mad. He's out of his mind. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do you listen to him? So, reaction number one, he's a raving maniac. Okay, that's reaction number one. Reaction number two. Others said, These aren't the words of a man who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's a good question. Is there any place in the Bible where a demon ever opens the eyes of a blind person, raises a person from the dead, heals a lame person? Not one case in the entire Bible where a demon does that. So, John is writing his account here for his audience. Remember, John is writing in 90, 95 AD. And he's writing to his audience who uh, is going through some things to show them that Jesus is, alone is the unique shepherd and it's only through him that you become a member of God's flock. Some of these people have Jewish friends, Jewish relatives, and they're saying, hey, look, we're Jewish, we're, we're children of Abraham, we're, we, you know, we're okay, we're saved. And, and John's making sure that they understand, no, there's only one way to salvation and deliverance, and that's through Jesus. God is replacing the old regime, the old Jewish leaders, the false shepherds who are out for number one with the true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the true shepherd of whom the Old Testament prophets foretold. And he did this through his death and resurrection. And in his death and resurrection, he establishes a new covenant and reconstitutes the people of God to include Jews and Gentiles. And that's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are today. Next week we'll pick up at verse 22. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. This analogy, this allegory that speaks of your people and your true shepherd. Help us to realize, Lord, that Jesus wants to gather us to himself. Just in this, as in this morning's sin. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Help us to realize Jesus wants to care for us and sustain us. And that he wants to protect us and bring us into the presence of God. Give us life, not only in this life, but life to come. Not only eternal life, but abundant life as well. In Christ's name, we pray and we thank you, Lord, for this, these promises. Amen.